listening to the podcast Advertising Playbook, your resource to better understand and execute successful podcast ad campaigns. Hello and welcome to the podcast Advertising Playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood. Today, I am joined by Tomas Rodriguez. He is the Senior Director of Audio Partnerships at the Trade Desk. Tomas, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. So I'm I'm just so excited to talk to you today because programmatic ads in the podcast space, I feel like, are such an important topic. I often talk about host-read ads, and I love host-read ads, but there is so much to programmatic. Now, tell us before we kind of get into programmatic about the trade desk and what you guys do. Sure. And I'm, I'm excited to talk about programmatic, uh, but I also love host-read, so I want to leave room for everything. Uh, A little bit about the Trade Desk. We've been around for a while, about over a decade. And simply put, we just allow brands and agencies to come into our platform, our technology platform, and buy media. They can buy maybe banner ads on websites or video ads on mobile apps, video ads on streaming, TV streaming services, and also audio ads on music streaming, radio streaming, and podcasting. And the reason why a buyer might want to come through our doors to buy all this great inventory that they could probably buy direct is a few different reasons. They could, with programmatic, you get all these algorithms, all these tools to allow targeting, zip code targeting, audience targeting, contextual targeting, time of day targeting. It it really goes on and on. But the reason why you want to do all that targeting is because you want better performance. You can optimize those targeting levers and buttons and, and hopefully drive bottom line results for your business. And we think that's why people come through us, uh, our doors to buy inventory. And we've been an active player in audio since 2016. And yeah, um, we're, we're also really excited about podcasts. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I started my career in radio and newspaper and there really wasn't any targeting. And when I think about success in advertising, it's really all about hitting the people who are actually in the market for your product. And I know that that's why, you know, social media often gets such a good name for advertising, right? Because those advertisers are able to dial into their specific target market. They know that when they're reaching that person, that there's a great likelihood that they are in the market for their product. And it sounds to me like what you have been able to do at the Trade Desk is really focus in on those consumers that that brand is looking to reach. Yeah, I think you're right. I'm glad you brought up social media. I I think you're right. I think they have a lot of scale and they can reach really targeted audiences. When you compare their content, maybe user-generated content, and you compare it to the content that's being created in the open internet, the great television shows, the really good in-depth reporting that's happening in journalism, the awesome new podcasts that are coming out. I think the content's better in the open internet than it is in social media. So you're like, well, why would an advertiser want to spend their first dollar of their campaign with social media? I think you're right. I think it's because there's really good targeting controls there. What we're trying to do is we're trying to partner with the quality content of the open internet and introduce the same targeting controls and hopefully, you know, level up our offering so we can compete. I love that. I feel like that is so, so spot on. And when we look at really the engagement piece, when we look at the open internet and podcasts in particular, 
engagement is so high on podcasts, but the targetability hasn't always been there. And I think oftentimes that's why, you know, potentially we haven't gotten as many ad dollars or as many large brands advertising in the space. And that's why as an industry, I do think we need to lean into programmatic to a certain degree. Before we dive into that too much, though, can you explain to those listening who maybe are unfamiliar with programmatic advertising what exactly that means? Certainly. Uh, With programmatic, it's very much like any marketplace. There's a buyer on one side, there's a seller on the other. What's interesting about programmatic is there's an auction in the middle. And what programmatic has done in display and video and mobile and television is that it's really brought that auction to scale where you can have a lot of publishers creating a lot of different content, having a lot of ad impressions, putting those ad impressions up on an auction block and a lot of buyers, you know, thousands of buyers with thousands of campaigns, if not millions of strategies, all get to evaluate those, those ad impressions on an individual basis. And they get to say, how much is this worth it to me? Should I bid high? Should I bid low? And, you know, there's algorithms on on this side where there's a lot of targeting focus, a lot of optimization focus. There's algorithm, you know, hopefully there's algorithms on the supply side where it's really about yield. How do I get the top dollar uh, Mm -hmm. for this ad impression? And so there's a lot of data-driven advertising that's happening when you put it all together. And, And that's how I would define programmatic. What's interesting about programmatic is that it has life. It has a, a life cycle. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when early stages of programmatic, it could be um, a little bit more focus on automation and aggregation. Mm. When you get to so like you have ad networks coming into play and saying, "Hey, I can aggregate all the supply buyer," and so you don't have to pick up the phone and call everybody. There's you know that's part of the life cycle, and then we go up a little bit. And programmatic really becomes about targeting levers. Oh, yeah, maybe we can do demo targeting or contextual targeting. It gets a little bit more advanced. And then when you get really advanced is when you're bringing in all the channels together. You're bringing in display and video and mobile and podcasts and music streaming. And you can be omni-channel. You can do omni-channel strategies. And then also there's a measurement piece that's a feedback, real-time measurement. So, you know, maybe I am buying across... Uh, web, mobile, and TV, and audio. Now I just want to set up a campaign that's got to optimize towards who's getting to the thank you page on my website, Mm -hmm. who is browsing a product on my app. So, you know, the reason I wanted to break it up into life cycles is because in podcasts, I think we're probably in one or two. Yes. And and so uh, I want to just contextualize like what, what programmatic means to podcasters might be a little bit different from what programmatic means to, you know, someone who's been in the the field for 15 years at a web publisher. Right, right. Yeah. No, I really appreciate that. And, you know, one of the challenges with podcast ad buying is that people always say, well, there is scalability issues. And can we take what worked and then multiply it and get, you know, more results? And really, even just that aggregation and automation is an important step for us because yeah. everything has been so manual. I also think that it's important for us to look at the value of different types of advertising, right? And we do preach so often about the value of host-read ads. And of course, there's so much value there. But that doesn't mean 
that a well-produced programmatically inserted ad has less value. It just means that it's being, you know, delivered differently. I think one of the pieces that is always unclear to me is the level of transparency. And when I say that, what I mean is um, often when I talk about programmatic, I say, you know, you buyers are going on these essentially auction sites. They're they're saying, hey, I want to buy a million impressions. I want to reach, you know, 35 year old women in New York um, who like health and fitness. And they're going to get on podcasts that maybe they don't even know what what shows those are. And maybe it doesn't even matter what shows those are because they've put in these these targeting elements that are, are getting them to that right audience. But really, it sounds like there is a level of transparency where you can say, for sure, I know I ran on X, Y, and Z shows, especially within ad networks, I believe. So can you speak to that a little bit? How much transparency is there? Yeah, before I jump into podcasting, I just want to share some experience. That yeah. with my first job out of college, I was living in Chicago. I was working as a media buyer at a company called Four Digital. And this was uh, 20, I, I don't even know. But anyway, it's, um, I was buying ad networks for display campaigns. Okay. I would buy an ad network and they would, you know, show me some logos. Like here's, you can run on Oprah.com and you can run on MarthaStewart.com. I was like, oh, this is pretty good. I'm trying to reach a female demographic. Like this might, this might work. But then I would finish the campaign and I wouldn't get any reporting back. I wouldn't know where exactly my impressions ran. And when I would ask my ad network salesperson, they'd be like, oh, you know, you performed. What does it matter? Like, it, it doesn't matter. You know, fast forward to today, you can't, you can't exist in, in programmatic without, a, you know, as a web publisher, without giving your domain and your subdomain and your placement ID. And like, there are all these accountability structures where a buy side platform like ours knows exactly where that square was on the web page and how many times <laughs> it's made available. And so we're just at the first, you know, at the start with with podcasting. You know, if, if there are ad networks that are are in play, maybe they aren't sharing to the to the seller what buyers are coming through, what brands are spending on their podcast. Maybe they're not sharing with the brands what what sellers or what what specific podcast shows they're running on. But that's going to change. It's going to change because the marketplace is maturing because conversations like ours are happening where the buy side takes more of an interest, the sell side takes more of an interest, and we get to a place of full transparency. And that's what we require mm -hmm. at Trade Desk. When we bring on new inventory sources, we make sure that we're getting genre and show name and episode name because our buyers, we want to give them the option to pull reporting and say, what show did I run on? What network did I run on? That's really important to them because what can happen is they can get insights. Mm -hmm. Really cool case study on our website from a from a company called Orange Theory. Mm -hmm. They're like fitness. They have their own franchises and it's yeah. in a lot of locations. And uh, they want to do podcasting. And they were curious on what genres performed really well. And this isn't like the the big news headline, but it was health and fitness podcast for <laughs> fitness gym. But what it gets them to do, like companies like Orange Theory, they get an insight and they invest more mm -hmm. and they get an insight and invest more. You know, transparency is not just great for, you know, making people give the warm and fuzzies. It's great for building a marketplace. So I'm here to say that transparency is available. We just all have to ask for it. Yeah, I love that. And that's that's such a great 
example of the growth of programmatic period. And for, you know, for a lot of of reasons in podcasting, we still are at stage one and there is still so much opportunity. And I, I love that it is about us as advertisers saying, no, we want this, right? Because when we talk about how do we take the podcast industry to the next level, how do we reach the next, you know, billion and all this, it's it's part of that, right? It's it's that piece of of the advertiser having trust in what it is that they're purchasing. And as you mentioned, it's all about duplicating success. And so if I know that I'm going to be successful on these particular shows, I want to return to those. I guess I'm curious if, you know, a buyer came in, you know, let's take Orange Theory, for example, and they ran these health and fitness, you know, targeted ads. Could they literally go back and say these 10 podcasts perform really well for us? We just want to buy ads on those 10 podcasts. Certainly, but they probably wouldn't do that. What they would probably do is we want to buy more of these 10. In addition to these. In addition to the other one, we're willing to pay more. And they could be doing that uh, explicitly as a hands-on keyboard user, or the algorithms could be doing that on their behalf. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different ways that that can happen. Right. Okay. And one of the things that I always think about when I think about programmatic is I think about big dollar amounts. So I think about the orange theories, or I think about, you know, the Fortune 500 companies who have you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars to invest. Um, and, and so I, I guess I, I kind of talk about it as, as narrow or, you know, wide spending. How much does an advertiser really need to spend on programmatic? And are they really these larger companies or these big brand advertisers, as opposed to maybe like the direct-to-consumer brands or the direct-response advertisers? I love this question. Um, and I'm embarrassed to share with you that I always lead in with like a, a kind of a quip before I go into this, say uh, podcast advertising is very good, but it's only good for the 1%. And that goes for buyers and sellers, you know, mm-hmm. very good for the 1% of top shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also very good for the 1% of top buyers. The, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. companies are doing a great job of using the podcast marketplace. What it might be harder to uh, to appeal to is maybe a regional advertiser, maybe a, a QSR, a quick serve restaurant, fast food restaurant that's only located in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. What it also might be harder for is a large brand advertiser like a CPG or an auto who's really trying to reach as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. And so let's take that CPG example, that large national advertiser. The reason why podcasts might be difficult for them now is because they care about reach. You know, we are all, we're all trying to grow our businesses. In order for this CPG company, this consumer package good company to, to grow, they have to reach a lot of people because their baseline, the amount of people who are buying today is a lot of people. So they have right. to reach a lot of people to get the next, you know, percentile up. Uh, very different from D to C, where if you're starting off with, you know, a thousand loyal buyers, you can advertise on one podcast show and grow 10x and you still haven't mm-hmm. exhausted what that show does for you. So for that CPG brand, they would have to cut 10 insertion orders, 20 insertion orders, 100 insertion orders to achieve the same reach that they might do on buying one college football placement on television. So it doesn't make sense. They're, they're going to buy the television 
you know, there's too much overhead, there's not enough reach. And so they're kind of excluded from buying host red ads at the moment. Mm-hmm. Similarly, with regional advertisers, if they're buying, you know, a host red ad, they're going to be broadcasted to not just the United States, but all over the world because it's, you know, stitched into the ad. It might not make sense for them to do that. They might be buying impressions that they don't need. Mm-hmm. Have these categories who have been on the sidelines for a while. They can come to programmatic and they can benefit from that aggregation automation. Mm-hmm. But also they might have very specific targeting parameters like uh, they only want to target a specific zip code or maybe the consumer package good company wants to reach recent or new parents to focus on you know, getting them to buy baby supplies or something like that. So programmatic brings in, I think, a new brand base. Yeah. I absolutely love the way that you broke that down. And I have never thought about it like that. But that makes so much sense when you talk about the huge companies, when they already have so much penetration and so much reach, they really do have to go for huge numbers in order to get just that 1% gain. And that is such an interesting way of looking at it. And that makes so much sense. And I I think it's so interesting because often I feel like in the podcast space, we all look around and go, well, how come they're not here? How come they don't want us? Like they, and, and I love it. Like podcasters always come to me and they're like, well, that company, they spend millions of dollars on advertising. Can't you convince them to give us like $10,000? And I'm like, not how it works. Like it's, you know, it just, it's not. And, and those large companies have such detailed plans about how they're executing. So I, I just think that that is really fascinating. Now, when we, when we talk about regional advertisers, are you seeing that increase? Are you seeing more regional advertisers come into the trade desk? We are. Uh, and it's not just regional advertisers, but it could be brick and mortar advertisers that uh-huh. use case I mentioned where they're only targeting around maybe five miles within their specific brick and mortar stores. Mm-hmm. But yeah, regional are really leaning in. I, I, when I look in, I get to log into the platform every day. I get to look at who's spending on what. And I'm seeing a lot of local car dealerships. I'm seeing like a lot of universities. There is a regional focus happening. Mm-hmm. That's great. I and. For me, that goes to the whole concept even of creating localized podcasts. I don't think right now it makes a ton of sense. I live in Sarasota. And before we moved here, I know I was looking up like Sarasota podcast and I found like Sarasota real estate podcast, right? And they haven't produced an episode in several years now. But I mean, it doesn't really make sense to create a Sarasota real estate podcast. You're going to get like a hundred listeners. But if you were in a bigger metropolitan area, you could create a podcast and then you could have that local car dealer being like, oh yeah, like, you know, I want to target in this area. And if that podcast was available, it would be a really good fit. So for me, I do think that there is so much power in, I mean, we talk about the long tail of podcasting a lot, but there really is a lot of power there. And And when we can access that next level of ad revenue, I think that's really important, too, because it seems to me like we are accessing the middle level of revenue, right? So we're not accessing the top dollars and we're not accessing the bottom dollars. We're just we've got like that just right sweet spot. And if we can expand, that's where I think the real dollars will come in. 
Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, if we take that example of someone creating a podcast just for Sarasota, I would want to make sure that 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 podcaster wasn't just going after local advertisers, that they had an option to get a national dollars as well. And I think that's also where programmatic fits in a little bit. So I I agree. uh, Programmatic fits kind of great with podcasts and, and maybe the next step that podcasts want to get to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, you were you were talking as well about the larger advertisers. And we also know that within large companies, they do have these kind of micro and more focused campaigns. And it seems like those are the types of campaigns perhaps that are the best. Right. So, you know, maybe you're taking like a Procter and Gamble and we're saying they want to advertise Pampers, but not Pampers as a whole. We want to you know, just talk about our organic cotton pampers. So it's really about, it's still about that kind of niching down, really. Yeah, you know, what I'm seeing a lot from brands is really trying to build a life cycle reporting and scoring for their users. So brands saying like, you know, it's not just about trying to get this person to buy pampers once. How do we get them to be a pampers family and kind of graduate to the Pampers pull-ups, and then you graduate to whatever, you know, the, the kid needs at three years old or four years old or five years old. You know, what type of relationship can we build in that way? And I think that's where a lot of the targeting piece comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you're seeing bigger brands trying to create that one-to-one relationship, maybe have users log in to an account. And so they can start collecting that, that brand first-party data and put it to work in media. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that makes total sense. Can you do retargeting? So can, with programmatic ads, can they see who has listened? I mean, obviously we never do first party data, but like, are they able to do any sort of retargeting on social or anything? Retargeting, um, yeah, think about, when I think about our platform, like I mentioned before, we do a lot of display banners, pre-roll video ads on web and mobile. We have television ads, we like partner with Hulu and Disney Plus and stuff like that. You can certainly do retargeting. We do need probabilistic models. You've probably heard of cross-device solutions. Those are at work to enable mm-hmm. a lot of this like omni-channel retargeting, but it's certainly possible on it and it's scalable. Mm-hmm. And when you you had said like kind of the third scenario is that omni-channel and that podcasts really weren't, you know, we're not there yet. Do you think that we're not there because the solutions aren't like apples to apples. Is that why we're not getting wrapped into the omni-channel approach? Yeah, I think you need a lot of levers and a lot of data in order to get included in that last bit. And I actually think we're getting very, very close. Mm-hmm. One of the things my team and I, we've been working on a lot last year, was getting our supply side partners sending the right signal, sending show name, episode name, genre, sending some identity signals that we needed in order to be able to give our buyers the reporting and data they need to, one, let the algorithms work and maybe move the media spend where it needs to go, but two, allow them to pull insights and say, hey, like we need to double down on podcasts. It it performed a little bit better than this other channel. Mm -hmm. So that's what it takes to be included in that kind of omni-channel piece. And I think we're making quick work to get there. That's great. One of the things that I don't know exactly how to solve for is I I recently had a guest on the show that works for an agency and they buy all different forms of, you know, advertising. And 
and I, I probably have used this example several times on the podcast because I thought it was so outstanding. But she said that when they ran podcast ads, they saw, I think, a three-time increase in the results of their video campaigns. And I thought that that was, I mean, that's so significant because we often just look at podcasts by themselves. And I feel like that for the last eight years, I've been talking about podcasts by themselves, right? But realistically, while I do think there's a percentage of people who maybe just listen to podcasts, most everyone does multiple things, right? You're going to obviously be online. You're going to be on social media. You're going to watch streaming video, things like that. Is there any way for a buyer who's buying omni-channel to say, you know, let's say I'm buying these four different channels. When I add the podcast channel in, these four channels performed two times better. You know, is it is the um, information sophisticated enough to see that the addition of other channels increases performance overall? Yes. One report that we have that our media buyers love is called the Path to Conversion Report. And what it does is it tries to make sense of all those different paths. And it tries to surface the most likely paths that a user took in order to arrive to it, maybe an online action, or maybe they even walking into your brick and mortar store. It says, hey, when um, podcast was their first exposure, uh, 42% of the time, it led to a higher likelihood than if a display ad was their first exposure. So you really get to tell that whole story and see how it works together. I, I think I would be remiss by by saying that if I didn't include, you know, who's taking credit for all of our hard work are the social media networks, yes. are the search engine networks. You know, we're doing some really good stuff. And so a lot of times when, you know, folks in the open internet, you know, TV or podcast or display, when they're trying to ask themselves these questions, a lot of times they're like saying, you know, how how do I as podcast take audio budget away from music streaming? And I think like that might be a little bit too zero sum. I think we should need to rally together to talk about the value of our content and how it, it creates a, a lot more impact than maybe just that last click attribution over with the search engine companies creates value. So um, I, I just want to make sure that we, we talk about that too. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree. And, you know, I think back to when I was selling radio advertising, which was, you know, my, my first sales job um, was in radio ads. And, you know, no one ever said radio is amazing. It works so super well. Then I switched to newspaper and all my advertisers were like, this is amazing. We love newspaper. It's great. And what I realized is they liked newspaper. These people would walk into the store and say, I have this ad from the Sunday paper. And then all of a sudden they'd be like, oh, this is working. Well, no one ever comes in and says, you know, oh, I heard an ad. Right. And it's it's the exact same thing. People who are audio listeners are very influenced by the things that they hear on audio, but there isn't that necessarily easy conversion. And I think that that's why pixel tracking really has helped the industry so much because you can hear about a brand and then you can go visit their site and that should be attributed to podcasting, right? But audio is just, it's harder. And Maybe I hear an ad for pros on a podcast, but then when I'm on Instagram and I see it, I can click it and I can take their quiz. But that doesn't mean that the podcast ad wasn't what took me, you know, to their site because I had already had that, 
you know, that that influence, right? That that impression. So I like to say that podcasts are better with friends, you know, not just when you're like listening to them and they feel like your friend, but also podcasts alongside display, alongside video works a little bit better. And I actually think because podcasts are now more getting included in that omni-channel view, that omni-channel insights, it actually gets to stand up and saying, hey, look at I'm making an impact. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Are there any concerns that a brand should have or think about when they're considering programmatic? I know perhaps, you know, the concern of being placed on the same podcast multiple times, especially if maybe they're buying programmatically through a variety of channels. What are what are concerns that might need, you know need to be discussed? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think maybe I'll want to back up and I, I want to talk about trust a little bit. I, you mentioned it earlier when we were talking and I, and I forgot to hit on that. But I think that's what we're trying to do in programmatic. I think on the supply side, you know, supplies like, oh, like I want to I want to get another rev stream, maybe has lower overhead. I, mm-hmm. I want to be able to run my podcast a little bit more efficiently. But I'm a little bit scared about losing control about giving control to this entity and maybe not knowing what brands are buying on my my podcast. The buyers are feeling the same way. They're saying podcasts are cool. They're new. They're where influencing is happening. I want to be a part of that. But man, I'm a little like, I I don't know how to trust. I I don't know who to trust. And I really think that's where transparency comes Mm -hmm. in. And I think that as a buyer, before you're buying, you want to ask the question, what type of reporting am I going to get? Am I going to get Line by line, you know, this is the podcast. This is how many impressions I was delivered. If not, am I going to get an average CPM? Mm-hmm. Or am I going to understand what CPM I paid for on every single impression, or at least at the network or show level? As a, as a seller, as someone who's going to put supply on the market, it's about asking for transparency. It's about saying, hey, am I going to know what your fee was and then what the buyer was actually willing to pay? Like, mm-hmm. I really want to see this type of information. And, mm-hmm. and when we all start seeing that information, we can have these trust-based conversations and you'll see more investment on the supply side, more investment on the buy side. And, and that's really where we want to get to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And, and really that answers the question, right? It's all about that transparency on both sides. I, th- I think that's, that's phenomenal. Just to talk quickly about results tracking, can you do pixel attribution in programmatic ad buying? Yeah, I mean, just like any other pixel, uh, or I, I should back up, yes, and you can do it through the trade desk fairly easily. It's, it's kind of um, <laughs> what you can do out of the box. There's also a lot of vendors in the space who are offering pixel-based tracking. I think the only nuance when you compare pixel-based tracking uh, podcast versus maybe display is that in podcasts, it's going to happen on the download. And that's something that a conversation that we have to have with buyers who are trying to compare apples to apples with maybe another channel where the pixel fires on the impression. Mm. Um, but that's really the only nuance that we have to work through. Excellent. So I'm curious, what are your predictions as we're looking, we're recording this at the beginning of 2024. We've just come off of 2023, which was an interesting year, but I think overall decent. I think it finished up well. What are your predictions for where programmatic will grow or or what it might develop into this year? Man, I'm a little on my heels. I don't I don't think I made it down to the list of questions I like that far down. I should I should have prepared for this one. But uh, <laughs> I think I think we're gonna see more examples and more case studies of podcast performing. Yeah. And 
podcasts performing better relative to other channels. I think all of us in the podcast community, I'm, I'm a new member to the podcast community. I was in TV previously, but all of us in the podcast community, we love to talk about you know, how it's a different experience, a different advertising experience. You can't get better than a host endorsing a specific product. I think for programmatic or dynamic ad insertion, we're also going to see really good performance compared mm-hmm. to other channels. I think we're going to see that repeatedly. I think we're going to see more supply getting excited about programmatic. Yeah, I, I think those are the two that, that I, I'm expecting to see. Yeah, that's great. Well, let me be the first to welcome you to the podcast industry because, you know, it's way more fun than TV. I'm not sure how TV was for you, but the podcast industry is so much fun. Um, But yeah, it's for me, it goes back to the idea of engagement and and it's engagement, but it's also just so personal. And when you're listening to a podcast Um, I wish I could say, and I know that there are families out there that listen to podcasts together. Most of my podcast listening happens on my earbuds or in my car when I am by myself. But so then you you do connect with the with the host and and you connect with the content in such a different way. And I feel like that's why it feels so intimate and so personal, and that's why it's so effective overall. And so I totally agree with you. I think that it doesn't. Like host red ads are amazing, yes, and I want to see those continue to flourish. And I think that there's a lot we can do. But I also think the value of programmatic coming into the space is first and foremost that we have the ability to fill these unfilled impressions. And if someone were to do a study right now about how many unsold impressions we have in the podcast space, I think the number would be staggering. We have so many unsold impressions. And I also think that when you've got a really nice base of programmatic, it allows you to value your host read in a different way. When we are fully host read, which, I mean, I haven't seen the latest study from the IAB comes out in May, so it'll be interesting to see where programmatic lands. But we have so many host read ads that they are not as valued as I think they should be. And if we can get a really nice base of programmatic, then we can value host red at a higher dollar amount because the work, the endorsement is all very, uh, you know, very powerful and should be valued at a higher level. I didn't agree more. I was writing down notes furiously because you touched on a couple of things and I almost want to go, well, I want to touch on one thing and then I want to touch on another going back to predictions. Yeah. First thing I want to talk about is, is what you talked to, what you said about impressions going unfilled. And, um, you know, I've been working in programmatic for a while and and looking at different marketplaces. And I think one thing that stands out, especially in advertising, in advertising, there tends to be more supply than demand. Like demand, you have a finite amount of dollars out there that people are willing to spend. In advertising, if especially in display, you can just create another banner ad. There's almost an endless amount of supply. And when you have more supply than demand, if you're a supplier, you have to reduce friction on demand. Mm-hmm. I'll just say that one more time. If there's more supply than demand, what you should do as supply is just remove all the friction, remove all the red tape so that, you know, whoever does that best gets demand fastest. It's about right. it's about efficiency. I mean, yes, it's about content and quality and all that stuff, but holding all things constant, you just want to reduce friction. And I think maybe that's that's one thing I would just 
ask people to keep in the back or supply side, keep in the back of their heads as they're thinking about programmatic. The second thing, I want to go back to predictions and I have a better one now, if that's okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm watching the cars. I'm watching cars. I think all of us in the podcast community should be rooting for people to buy new cars. I don't know if you saw that Edison study, but they were talking about audio listening behaviors based on the, the year of your car, the model year of your car. And the newer cars, people were listening to a lot of more digital on-demand you know, music streaming or podcast type of content. But then the older the car was, the more it was AM, FM radio. Mm-hmm. In connected television, I got to experience a big wave of, of consumer macro trends called cord cutting, where people said, you know what, I'm not going to buy, I'm not going to watch on cable anymore. I want to pick and choose across these streaming services. I'm cutting the cable bill and I'm going over to fully streaming. I think we in the audio community are also experiencing a cord cutting moment, but it's happening very slow. And rather than with TVs and and Roku hockey pucks and Amazon Fire Sticks, it's not happening there. It's happening with cars. Mm-hmm. People change out their cars much slower than they change much out their televisions. But I think they're changing it regardless. I think that change is happening. So as those as that change happens, I think there's going to be more ears, more listening happening to on-demand channels like podcasting. And I think that's going to attract bigger or larger or more diverse advertisers quicker. Mm-hmm. So that's all something I'm watching. And I expect that trend to go through 2024 and, and, and beyond. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really cool. So when I started in 2016, it was like, I think it's so funny because at that time, everyone was like, well, podcasting is really going to take off as soon as everybody buys a connected car. And like it was, I and everybody talked about this like connected car. And then all of a sudden I saw a report that was like, oh, well, the average consumer buys a new vehicle like every 10 years or something. Yeah. And then it was like, we kind of all collectively looked at each other and went like, oh, so it's going to take like 10 years for us to get there. And then people kind of stopped talking about it because I haven't heard it. I haven't heard it talked about seriously in many years, but I totally think you're right. And I love the cord cutting analogy. It's I mean, it really makes so much sense because, you know, part of it is just that accessibility factor, which obviously, you know, with our smartphones and Bluetooth. But I mean, gosh, I had a car not that many years ago where I had you know, like the cigarette lighter <laughs> plug in for my, you know, to get my phone to go through the, you know, the the speakers of my car. And that was like pretty fun technology. And, you know, so it's it's slow, but I do think that that kind of connected car really will help the growth a lot. So yeah, and, and I and now that you're talking to me about it, I'm I'm realizing COVID had an inverse impact to both markets. So for television, COVID accelerated cord cutting because we were sitting there, we needed to watch something. And so we just started subscribing to all these subscription services and then live sports pause. So why do I need my cable bill anymore? And so it accelerated cord cutting, but it also had supply chain issues in auto. Um, and mm-hmm. we experienced slow auto sales for two or three years and only 2023 are we back up to normal. So, it, you know, COVID really you know accelerated television and decelerated the, the change from radio to digital audio. And, you know, maybe we'll find our footing. Maybe we'll build some momentum coming out of COVID. Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective. Very cool. Well, Tomas, thank you so much for being on this show. I really enjoyed our conversation today. 
Thank you for your insights. And I'm excited to see what you guys do at the Trade Desk. Thanks for having me. I can't wait to be back. Thank you for listening to the program. I hope that you have enjoyed it as much as I have. If you're interested in learning more about podcast advertising, be sure to head on over to YouTube and check out my videos there. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Podcast Advertising Playbook, your source to a better understanding of the podcast advertising industry. 